So next, our speaker is Randy Banks. He's a graduate of the Army Physician Assistant Program and founder of the Florida Society of Dermatology Physician Assistants. He teaches at South University PA program in Tampa and precepts students from Nova University PA program. He currently works at Academic Alliance in Dermatology. Please welcome Randy Banks. Thank you. It's always hard to have the lecture right after lunch, though, because everybody comes in saying, hmm, it's time for a nap. Uh, and basically what I wanted to come here today and, and talk to you guys about was photodynamic therapy. Uh, I think PAs and MPs in, in America are at the forefront of education and new treatments. Uh, when you get trained by older physicians, older PAs, you know, because I graduated PA school in 1991, sometimes we keep those old things with us and don't embrace new technology. I find, though, that PAs in general tend to embrace new technology and incorporate that into their practice. You know, I, I think when something new comes out, I'm just like everybody else, though, I don't necessarily always believe it at first, but I want to sit there and try it and see how I can incorporate it into my practice. Because I think if you don't continue to grow in medicine, you become stagnant and you don't learn. So we're going to talk about photodynamic therapy. Disclaimer, I do speak for a few companies, uh, so I just wanted to uh, disclose that. I think if a, a PA or a provider speaks for a company, he should at least use their products. Otherwise, you have no experience in their product. You shouldn't speak for a company if you're not using their product, and that's my personal feeling. Factors consider when adding uh, photodynamic therapy to your practice. Treatment benefits. I think the biggest sell uh, to get PDT into any type of office is that you're going to have some benefit to your office. When you bring a new device or new equipment into your office, if it doesn't benefit your practice and you don't see how you're going to be able to incorporate that into your practice, you're not going to be able to work it well. And everybody has to buy into that. Cosmetic results. I found this out myself when I did a PDT to myself. Uh, I've had the cosmetic results because my wife actually said my face was as smooth as it's been in 20 years. Uh, of course, I don't do a lot of peels and stuff, but I think there is some cosmetic results that a lot of people get out of this. You know, the efficacy and long-term follow-up, you know, the studies have shown that this is a good therapy to use. And when I think about PDT, I don't think about single lesions. I still use liquid nitrogen just like everybody else because it's our biggest reimbursement. But if you, look, if you look at the Medicare guidelines and stuff, each year it keeps on getting cut. So we have to find ways that we're going to be able to maintain our revenue source. And a side effect profile. Has anybody in here ever used Effudex? Have you used it more than once? Yeah, it's a difficult treatment to sit there and use, even though it's still a gold standard and still a lot of physicians use that, and some of us may still use that. But PDT is a different type of treatment. It's very fast, and that's why I did it to myself. I couldn't look like a, a horrible monster, you know, for like four to six weeks using Effudex. So I wanted to go through a treatment that was very fast, so that's where PDT come into play for me. So, but you have to choose your patient, because it's not for every patient. There are some people that feel like if they don't get a horrible response, it didn't work. If, they didn't, if their face doesn't light up like, you know, they've just been bobbing in grease or something, it's not going to work on them because that's what they were taught early on, and that's what we thought about these other medications that we were using. It expands our treatment options. In other words, it gives us another option to offer our patients. I don't come, have patients come in and tell them exactly what they're going to do. I give them options and explain each one of those options to them because I think it's important for them to choose with the education that I give them. It's manageable. In other words, I get to manage this, and it's provider-driven. If you give somebody a cream, a lotion, a potion, pills, medications to take, the compliance rate as soon as they step out of your office is very low. This allows me to manage that to make sure that I get adequate therapy for my patient. And you definitely want to know how to code this appropriately. I think that's probably one of the biggest things that people don't do is they get these devices in their office and they don't understand the billing and coding correctly, 
and they don't make money, they don't make revenue. If you don't make money in dermatology, you can't practice dermatology or any other field. You have to be reimbursed for what you do. Treatment benefits. The Levulon Stick is FDA approved for minimally to moderately thick actinic keratosis. And those words are important. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Grade one or two on the face and scalp. Now we use it in many different places. I tend to use it all over the body if I can get insurance to pay for it. Even if not, I may use it if the patient wants to pay for it. A blue U or blue light illumination. Uh, I think when I did mine, I think it's, it's nice for providers sometimes to go through these therapies themselves, especially if they have actinic damage because they get to tell their patients what it felt like. Now we had a patient scheduled to come in and do the blue U on, but the patient didn't come in, so I became the patient that day. And it was on a Thursday, so I thought not a big deal. I got a little bit red after my procedure. And then about two hours later, I got a little bit more red. And then I went out to my car and it was 102 degrees outside. I didn't wear a hat and it was a walk to get to my car. By the time I got to my car, I was on fire, put the air conditioner on, called back up to my office and said, if we use this, we need to have some type of sunscreen, umbrella, hat for people in the office because it really burned quite a bit. And then it was my weekend to take people out on the boat so I had a rough weekend, uh, so I would not recommend doing that. You want to encourage your people not to do that. Um, you know, Blue U alone, I use an acne vulgaris, and if you have people that have really bad acne that are, you're thinking of Accutane and they don't want Accutane because of the side effects or potential side effects, think about Blue U and even Blue U with Levulon. Fitzpatrick's puts it as field therapies treat large areas of photodamaged skin that have both clinical and subclinical actinic keratosis. Such treatments are best used on patients with moderate to severe photodamaged skin. If you live in Florida long enough, you're going to be one of those patients. If you live in any of the southern states, you're going to be that. Or if you come down from the north like we have the snowbirds that come down each year, they bake out in the sun this time of the year and get real dark before they go back. This is something you can offer them while they're here. And most of the time, if somebody's going to treat a large area, I don't do 50 or 60 cryos in a day. I think when I first started in dermatology, I saw one or two providers, they would freeze 50 or 60 spots in one day. Have you ever frozen yourself? 50 or 60 spots in one day is quite a bit. And I think they just thought of it as a money maker. But once you hit 15, you're not necessarily making a large amount of money, and you're not doing a patient a service, you're also inviting uh, secondary infections. The efficacy of photodynamic therapy has been shown, I'll see if I can get this laser pointer to work. And when you look at this at, at eight weeks, about 77% of the uh, patients had good clearance, even 75 to 100% response at those weeks. I think I really didn't believe this myself until I did it to myself, because I had a couple actinic keratosis on my forehead. And sometimes you're a believer when you do it to yourself, even though you read all this literature and say, okay, the literature shows this, did it really work? Well, now I'm able to tell my patients, yes, it does work because I've done it to myself. And I know that probably some of us in here do chemical peels and other things to themselves so we can tell our patients of what's going on. I even offer this to my staff so they can tell the patients when they come in, maybe we want to do this because they've had that treatment done. But it's interestingly enough, I thought this was going to be so severe when I did it because I know that I, I spent a lot of time outdoors. Even though I had a pretty brisk reaction because I went out on the boat, I think in actuality it helped my skin a great deal because it made me realize the importance of sunscreen again and ultraviolet protective clothing, uh, which I invested in uh, well after that. The long-term efficacy of, of Levulon and, and photodynamic therapy is shown to continue out over a year period. I know for most of us in, in our practice, we have every treatment modality you can think of to treat actinic keratosis. Liquid nitrogen, you may have Aldera, Zyclera, you may have diflucanate sodium, 
You know, you may have all these different things to treat. But when my patient leaves the door and walks out that room, even if he has a prescription in their hand or they have a sample in the hand, you know, when you talk to Steve Feldman, you know, from uh, Wake Forest University, he tells people, you know, that 30% compliance rates is what we get. So somebody leaves our office, even if they have a sample in their hand and a prescription, about 30% of our patients actually do the treatment that we're going to give them. And I'm concerned if I give them a treatment, are they only going to do subclinical treatment? Does that mean they're going to go out and treat it for like one week and then maybe it gets a little bit bad and then don't continue the treatment? And then when am I going to follow them up? Did I treat them subclinically or not? So I tend to like this to treat patients and give them a start with this. Does anybody do chemical peels before they do this treatment? How about Tazerac? That's a good drug. I like Tazerac. Uh, again, you know, anything you can do to a patient to pre-treat them to get ready for this treatment is probably going to give them even more efficacy and benefit, uh, especially uh, for people that have a lot of actinic damage. I have a lot of people in my group, uh, we treat a lot of people that have scalp actinic keratosis. And for the scalp, this tends to work pretty good because even when people put cream up there or do liquid nitrogen, they tend to not do an effective job with that. So I would, I would definitely recommend that you think about that when you're doing people with a lot of actinic damage on the scalp. Because you don't want to start getting squamous cell skin cancers on the scalp. It's very hard to close the scalp and make it heal. The cosmetic response. And I didn't really think that was going to be a big deal in my practice until I got my own cosmetic response. You know, after about 15 years when your wife tells you that your face is smooth, either she hadn't been touching you for 15 years, or finally something actually worked pretty good, and I thought that was very interesting. But I get that almost out of every patient. So even if they come in and they have mild damage and you treat them, they get photodynamic uh, skin uh, softening. You'll see fine wrinkles go away a little bit. I don't recommend necessarily that you market this for cosmetic use. That's not an FDA approved treatment for it. Uh, but I tend to use a lot of things in my office, you know, for cosmesis. 92% of AK lesion treated were graded as good as excellent cosmetic response by clinical investigators. Does anybody do trials in their office? clinical trials and stuff like that. It's always nice to be an investigator and follow things. They give you all these little sheets to sit there and mark stuff down. How many actinic keratosis they had? How thick were they at? What part of the body were they on? Per square centimeter, you know, when you do psoriasis and those things. How many handprints you're doing? And it's interesting when you see that from a, a practitioner standpoint, if you've never done clinical research, because you understand what they're really counting. And I don't necessarily think I would like to do necessary research on counting each individual actinic keratosis if somebody has two or three hundred. But it, it gives you an idea, they're showing you that it's going to sit there and decrease the amount that these people have over a period of time. And when you decrease the amount of actinic damage or actinic keratosis, you're decreasing the possibility for squamous cell skin cancer. And there, I haven't had anybody in my practice scar with this device. Has anybody ever had that in their practice? No, I find it a very good thing that you don't really have to worry about scarring. Whereas liquid nitrogen, I have had some people in my lifetime just love to hold that liquid nitrogen on for about 30 seconds. If you freeze somebody for 30 seconds, they're going to have a white mark on them. Disease continuum of actinic keratosis and invasive SCCs. If you only have a few actinic keratosis, you don't have a high chance for SCCs. As soon as you move above 20, it's almost like a 20 increase, 20% 20 increase. In other words, a 20% fold increase. And if you think about that, how many times have you frozen 20 AKs on somebody? If you're in dermatology, probably often. And think about the chance that they have of getting squamous cell carcinoma. And if you see patients, you know, I see my AK patients probably about every three months. I try to stay on top of them. But there are some people that don't see them but once a year. Well, some of those AKs they weren't treating are probably going to turn into SECs and situs. 
When you think about actinic keratosis, and this one I tell my patients the same thing for skin cancers. If you have a skin cancer or an actinic keratosis, it's just the tip of an iceberg. If you feel something really thick on the skin, and I, I like to tell my patients, fish have scales, we don't. Because if you have a scale, a scale means that it's stuck to you. Well, if you have dry skin, it flakes off. A scale sticks to you, that's actinic damage. And there's damage beneath that that you don't see. And I know that most of us, when we see these patients, if you rub your hand over them, it feels sort of like little sandpaper scaly pieces. I try to get my patients to understand that I want their skin to be smooth. Not necessarily it's gonna be moisturized, because very few people moisturize these days other than women. Guys will come in and they'll have dry arms and they'll tell you they put moisturization on once a week. But women will tend to moisturize themselves. But if you think about if you have an actinic keratosis and you have more than five of those, think about the damage that's surrounding that. And the damage started way down at the bottom. You know, we're talking about the genetic level. Ultraviolet radiation damages, you know, oncogenes, it uh, damages rash genes, and those mutations carry up. It takes a long time for those mutations to come to the top, though. You may have actinic damage for five to 10 years before you notice any damage on the surface of the skin. The question, you know, as providers is when do we start treating these people? Is it just when they have five lesions we're gonna recommend field therapy or PDT? Is it when they have just 20 lesions? When are we gonna quantify at the time that we do preventive medicine versus episodic medicine? Safety information. When you put this stuff on, you don't wanna put it around the periorbital area. Mucosal surfaces, it's not indicated for that. Uh, just like I did not do, avoid sunlight or bright uh, indoor light for at least 40 hours after light treatment. I would definitely recommend that you have people stay inside. And that even includes going by the windows and stuff in your house. Because it's not just the sunlight sometimes, sometimes the heat and stuff will activate this as well. Um, definitely if you have providers that are doing this, or, and I actually have my medical assistants uh, do this treatment in my office, make sure that they wear all uh, protective lights. Make sure you have something on the door that somebody doesn't go in so that their eyes could be damaged. Contraindic uh, contraindicated in patients with cutaneous photosensitivity or allergies to porphyrins. And again, when you think about levulon, a natural occurring amino acid, it binds to the porphyrins, okay? It binds to the porphyrins that sit around oil glands and precancers. So as it binds there and it's activated by the ultraviolet light, that's what activates the damage, or that's what actually kills the actinic keratosis, is that activation. Uh, it says 20% levulon keratostick should be used immediately following preparation, and that's very true. If you have somebody that uh, is new to your practice and you want to teach them how to put these sticks on, Definitely show your medical assistants how to do that. If you don't understand how to use that Kara stick and you crack it and let it sit around for 15, 10 or 15 minutes, it's not gonna be any good. It's important that you put it right on after you activate it. Uh, I have to admit though, the first time I had one of those little sticks, it was a little bit different, difficult to crack and figure out how to use, so I had to practice with that a little bit. Treatment benefits. This treats many lesions. And if you think about the face, and if you're freezing 10 to 15 spots on the face, there's probably a good uh, 20 to 30 subclinical lesions there. This treats a whole surface area. I know when I had my treatment, my face, my ears, top of my forehead a little bit, and down in the neck was treated. I found out that I had more sun damage in spots that I realized I didn't have sun damage. You know, I thought the areas that were gonna flare up, they didn't flare up at all. Areas that I thought I didn't have much sun damage on really flared up quite a bit. So it was an eye-opening experience to me of what to prepare my patients for. Because if you prepare your patients for whatever procedure you're gonna do and what you're gonna do to them and the reaction they're gonna have, that's a discussion you have with the patient. If you bring them in later and they tell you what happened to them and you didn't tell them, that's an excuse. Always prepare your patients ahead of time for the worst case scenario. If they don't have a bad response or they don't have a big response to it, then that's just fine too. They may not have had 
a lot of actinic damage, and that's good. Uh, some people will come in and say, I didn't peel like you said I was going to peel. Well, you don't necessarily have to have a brisk reaction to have a reaction. So I'd encourage you that when you, when you talk to your patients, they may have a mild or moderate reaction or even a, a worse reaction, but you tell them about all those things so you, you already lay the groundwork of what they may have. There hasn't, and recovery begins right after you stop treatment. I know that when I was doing my treatment, I had a fan on my face from underneath, and I found the fan helped uh, quite well. I don't know if you guys have little fans and stuff in your office, but I would encourage you to do something like that, uh, especially if you never had it done to yourself, because it does burn and sting when you're using it. Um, most people that have this treatment done, though, not like uh, FUDEX or CARAC or Solar Rays or all the rest of those, they say they'd do it again. They go, that wasn't so bad. Now, I have some patients that come and tell me that was horrible, but so was their skin. You know, and I couldn't get them to use Effudex, I couldn't get them to use Carac, I couldn't get them to use Aldera Zyclera because they couldn't tolerate it for much more than a week. So this was an opportunity for me to get them into the office, treat them, I knew they were gonna be treated effectively, and some of these patients, even when they have a bad reaction, they recommend that you do this again in about six weeks. For those patients, I had to do some hand-holding to get them in to do it again. But after you've cut out about 10 or 15 SECs on their face and scalp, somewhere down the road, you've got to convince them, we need to do preventive medicine, not episodic medicine. We need to treat you and get your skin just as smooth as we can and try and get as much sun damage treated as possible. Appropriate patient selection. Again, I offer uh, PDT therapy to a lot of people. That doesn't mean a lot of people take it. They'll say, well, no, thank you. I know, I think this Carac cream is going to work, or I think the FUDEX worked before. Can I have FUDEX again? And what do I do? Give them FUDEX. You know, if they're not going to sit there and, and let me convince them to do PDT, and I don't spend 30 or 40 minutes trying to talk to them about PDT, I say, okay, let's use Carac, and I want to see you back in two weeks. And they go, well, my last dermatologist saw me back in three months. I want to see if they're using the FUDEX. Because at two weeks, if they're using Effudex, they're going to be lit up. If they come in and there's only one spot lit up, they're doing spot therapy. They're not doing fill therapy. And then we need to re-educate them. So it's important to pick the right patient that you offer photodynamic therapy to. I offer it to a lot of people that have mild damage because I think if we do preventive medicine, we're doing a better job. And when you look at who you're going to sit there and choose you know, to do this with, you want to talk to them about the procedure. You want to talk to them about how many times they've been frozen. In other words, you want to say, okay, photodynamic therapy can be used because we have potential for less scarring. I can control it. It's a short treatment. You don't have to use it for weeks and weeks. It's done in about an hour and 16 minutes and 40 seconds. And 16 minutes and 40 seconds is 1,000 seconds. You know, so I, I'm able to sit there and tell them about this when they're in the office. And I choose my patients to use this on, especially if I know I'm going to see them once a year and they're not going to come in no matter what they have growing them, I try to convince them to do a therapy that's going to be beneficial to them while they're in the office. Uh, and after a while, the ones that you see once a year will get used to that. And hopefully, you know, when you do this therapy to them, they'll find good benefit at their skin. They'll have less things that they pick at, because uh, most everybody, when they have a scale on them, tends, uh, tends to try and pick it off. One thing in, about medical legal documentation. Uh, has anybody ever been uh, an expert witness? Has anybody ever been in a lawsuit? When you do things in charts, what you write is gospel. What you don't write was not done. If you write hyperkeratotic in your chart, 
there's a group of lawyers in America and physicians that will testify that was an SCC in situ. And why did you do PDT to it or liquid nitrogen? So think about that word hyperkeratotic. You can have a scaly lesion. You don't necessarily have to write hyperkeratotic. And I would encourage you to think about that before you write those things in your chart. Now, if you have templates and stuff that is already in there, you may want to consider how you put that in there. Take before and after pictures. You know, I do that even on my acne patients. Because they'll tell me after two months they're not any better. Because they're looking at themselves all day long. When I show them a picture, they go, oh, well, maybe I am a little bit better. I do it also with my treatments for this. I do it with cosmetic procedures, biopsies, a whole bunch of different things. But I think it's important, you know, that they see the benefit of this. Document how many lesions you're treating. You know, and, and you don't have to sit there and count necessarily everyone. I tend to do a guesstimation like most everybody else. But if you've got people with 30, 40 lesions, just say, you know, 20, 30, 40 lesions, you know, treated on the face with the PDT Levulon. Make sure the consent is signed and explained. Tell them that they're going to have a reaction. Tell them there's potential side effects with any medication. There's not any medication that doesn't have some potential side effect. But you need to sit there and tell them about the most common ones that you can. I don't get a package insert out and read every side effect that somebody's going to have, but I do tell them the most common ones. These are AKs under ultraviolet light. Does anybody have any of those like light boxes in their office, you know, where they can stick their head in and see all the actinic damage on their face? Oh, that's really pretty cool. I've got one of those things that I take around to uh, skin screenings with me and have everybody stick their face in it. And they get their face in there and they're looking down and they see their face and they go, what are all those little spots? Well, that's sun damage. What do you mean it's sun damage? Sun damage, actinic damage. And that tends to sell them on a couple different things. One, they say, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Two, they go, oh, how do I get rid of this? So it gets me an opportunity to sit there and treat them because most of these people at screenings aren't even your patients yet. Procedure for this. I, I tend to use acetone. I don't know what, there's a bunch of different thoughts of what you use to wipe the skin off. I tend to also pre-treat most of my patients. Um, I want to get the best response that I can because I'm probably going to get at least one chance to treat them. There's very few people that come back two or three times for a lot of actinic treatment when it's in a large area. So I want to get the best response I can the first time around. So I tend to pre-treat my patients. I'll give them samples of Tazerac, Retin-A, anything I can do to them before I use the Levulon uh, treatment. You want to debulk thick AKs. And if you use Tazerac, for those of us that may have used it, Tazerac does a pretty good job pretty fast. It tends to be very irritating, but again, you want to sit there and debulk those thick ones so you get a better response to that. Um, I think, you know, the incubation time typically for me is an hour on the face. If you, you don't have to be exactly an hour, even though my office has one of those little alarm clock things. You'll always hear it go off, everybody will jump. They go, oh, somebody's got Levulon out there on them. Uh, it was only on for an hour. If you go a little bit longer than that, that's not necessarily a bad thing to do. If you're treating the arms and legs, uh, for those of us that may use glycolic acid peels, glycolic is a very cheap substance. Uh, you can do a simple peel on those people and then it will penetrate a lot better. And this just shows the Levulon being applied with the blue light in the background. And this is a, a patient under blue light. Uh, I don't see if he has a fan or not, but I would encourage you to have one of those little fans, you know, whether it's a battery powered or electric powered to do. And this just shows a guy with treatment. When you look at baseline, two minutes post-treatment, I wasn't quite that red, but I got that red after about two hours. So it's going to be varied on patients. 
you want to tell them the worst case scenario, what it's going to be. I've actually had a patient that had probably about 25 SECs removed from his scalp and his face uh, that I left Levilon over, on overnight. You know, when you think about when Levilon was first uh, brought to the market in Europe, it was a long duration to sit on the skin. They actually did applied it, you know, in an afternoon and brought him back the next day to treat. Now, when I treated that guy, I gave him the expectation that his face was going to light up and be sort of purplish red. And sure enough, when he got done with treatment, his daughter come out and said, look what you did to my dad, because his face was just as purple and, and red as could be. But I probably cut, him, cut away at least 10 to 15% of what was going on with his skin. We stopped doing the SECs and uh, Mohs procedures on his scalp. You know, he only had so much skin left for him. And then one week post-treatment, which is very typical, we tend to peel for a week. And about three to four weeks afterwards, you don't even really know you had it done. You may still be a little bit red-tinged. It depends on you know, what you're doing and whether or not you maybe had a little bit of rosacea or something ahead of time. Post-treatment considerations. The biggest thing you want to do is say, stay out of the sun. That means stay inside, rent a movie. You know, if you get in a car and your windows aren't tinted, you're going to light up just like you're under that machine. I mean, my drive home wasn't fun other than I had the air conditioner vents on me. You know, I had them all turned toward me and had it on max. And when I got home, I stayed, in, I stayed inside until that Saturday morning when I had to get up and go to my boat. That wasn't a good thing to do. Uh, so don't, don't have your patients do something like that. And if they're going to go on a trip, they're going to go, you know, skiing this time of year in certain parts. Sunlight is sunlight no matter where you're at. Uh, and you want to make sure they wear sunscreens. This is an opportunity in my office, and I know I used to work for a big group here, uh, Advanced Dermatology, that's here in, in Orlando and around the state. We have products and stuff that we sell in our office. You know, and you can't assume that your patients are going to get the best product. They look for what's the cheapest. They go to Walmart, they go to Walgreens, CVS, and go, pharmacist, what's the cheapest product here? Or what's the best product? And the pharmacist sells them a CVS brand or a Walmart brand or a Walgreens brand, which may or may not have physical blockers in them. If you're not using sunscreens with you know, titanium dioxide, zinc dioxide, or Mexerol, you're not having adequate blockage for these patients. So we actually had someone in our office, and it was just as cheap, if not cheaper, than what they could buy at Walmart, CVS, or Walgreens. So I'd recommend that when they leave, they have some applied, and you try to give some when they walk out the door. There's a lot of companies that will give you samples. I don't, I don't get too much uh, Neutrogena samples anymore. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I used to get Neutrogena samples all the time, have cases of sunscreen. Um, I haven't got very much lately. I don't know if it just fell off the market or whatever happened with that. Again, they may have a sunburn-like reaction. You know, most of these people will tell you, I've never had a sunburn in my life. And you look at them and they have, you know, AKs all over them. And they never had a sunburn? You know, I just can't believe it. We're saying never had a sunburn. There may be some people out there that never had a sunburn. But usually everybody gets at least one. And you want to tell them how to take care of their skin. You don't want them to sit there and scratch and pick at this. Nor do you want to apply steroids the day after you do this treatment. Have I given people steroids that had a, such a brisk response, they had a lot of edema? Yes. But you don't want to do that because you're negating some of the, the activity of what it's working. Combination therapy. I think PDT is combination therapy with what I'm already doing. This is probably the biggest reason that people don't use PDT is they think, well, cryotherapy is what makes me my money in my practice. And when you look at the billing for 1700s or 17,000s and what we bill for that, it is probably still the number one moneymaker for dermatology. Well, Medicare every year goes, okay, what are we making the most amount of money for? Let's decrease the what we reimburse on that. And they've done that every year. And they're going to continue to do that. 
Well, I'm not, I haven't stopped doing cryotherapy because I use PDT. I do just as much cryotherapy, but I've added PDT to it. Because if they have 20 to 30 actinic keratosis, they have more that I haven't even seen yet. And PDT is not 100%. Cryosurgery is not 100%. There's nothing 100%. I see my patients back and I do these treatments, but I've added PDT to it. At least I'm trying to cut down some squamous cell skin cancers in patients. Now, if you work for a large Mohs practice, they may say, well, that's my business. But you know, if you have two extra patients that you're treating actinic keratosis in and do PDTs, you may have made up what they do for a stage one Mohs. You know, Zyclera come to the market, I thought that was kind of neat because again, shorter duration, increased compliance. Fluorouracil 5%, I don't use that very much unless my patients ask me for it. I do use topical retinoids in just about everybody. I think it's probably the most underused drug out there. You know, Retin-A was designed to treat actinic damage, photo damage. It just happens it smooths out fine wrinkles, treats acne and other things. When it come out in its liquid form, for those that's been practicing long enough, it was a very irritating type solution. Many people couldn't tolerate that, but it did really good for actinic damage. So I try to have people on retinoids when they're, out in, the, when they're in Florida or they have actinic damage anyhow. Now insurances don't like to pay for it once we hit this magic age of 28. Anybody out there 28 yet? No. But insurances don't like to pay for it because they think it's just for look good medications. But it's actually good to treat photo damaged skin. And sometimes you can get those approved if you write it the, the right way. Chemical peels are just an adjunct therapy that I use. It hasn't changed me using PDT or chemical peels. And always remember daily sunscreens. Uh, out of the men in here, how many apply to sunscreen today? Not a whole bunch. Yeah, we're bad at that. You know, our idea of a sunscreen is uh, getting underneath something. You know, but putting it on, oh, we're really bad about that. And there's two forms of ALA. ALA and ALA methyl ester, two molecules for PDTs. There's the Levulon and Metvixa. I tend to use more Levulon. I don't know if people have experience with the other one very much. It's also used with a red light. I tend to like blue light because uh, I also use it well for acne. And this just gives you the comparison of the two. One of the, one of the reasons I think it's important that we want to note is, let's see if I can see it, peanut oil. You know, peanuts still are a high allergen, so you want to make sure that when you're thinking about things to use, that you understand what it's composed of, what the ingredients are of it. You know, not only do we want to know the vehicle of how it gets into the skin, we want to know what's in it, because there are people out there that are still allergic to nuts. Um, so I'd recommend that you look at those things. And it has a longer incubation period, and it uses red light with that. I found it's easier for me to use blue light in my office because I use it for many things, and it tends to be very mobile. Does anybody use red light in their office? Some people. This is the biggest confusion that we have when thinking about PDT into offices. Uh, I work with a group now that we have one PDT machine and it's soon gonna be in my office uh, because I use PDT. Um, they think that they've lost money every time they've used it. So I actually had them pull out all their little different uh, sheets of what they build for this whole year and found what they, where they forgot to build one code. If you don't build the right codes with this, you're not gonna be reimbursed. And then I pulled out the numbers of actinic keratosis that they treated and pulled out the number of actinic keratosis last year. There was no difference in the amount of actinic keratosis we treated. We added PDT, didn't bill for it right, so we didn't make money. 
You know, you have to understand the economics of doing therapies and treatments to your patients. You have to have the right codes and stuff that you bill. You know, and it varies by state of what you get reimbursed with, but you know, usually 100 and some bucks, 130, 140 bucks, you know, per patient that you do PDT on. Well, cryosurgery, if you're still doing 10 to 15 cryosurgeries every three to four months, which most of us are, you're doing effective treatment for your patients, but you've added another treatment modality, and you may stop them from getting an invasive SCC. These are different uses of photodynamic therapy. I don't use them for many of these other than acne and, and precancers. Um, but there are different uses for it out there. Uh, and most of these are off-label uses, but if you think about it, photodynamic therapy has been used a lot. And the question is, where do we in integrate that into our practice? You know, and are we just gonna use the same topicals that we have, or we're gonna have different treatment modalities that we can offer our patients? Most every man that comes to my office, if you could do the same day treatment on everything they have, they would like it. They just were, can I get it today? Matter of fact, it needs to be in the morning because I do nothing in the evenings. Because that's how men are. We, want, we, we shave, brush our teeth in the morning, all those things. When it comes to the evening, we're not creaming our face. We're not lotioning our body. It just doesn't happen. You know, so, we, so this is a perfect treatment, I think, for men. And I have a lot of young kids that have severe acne that their parents are so afraid of Accutane, even though it's not on the market, it's our generic forms, that I've convinced them to use Levulon and PDT for cystic acne, and it's worked quite well in. So I'd, I'd recommend that you consider that. Insurances don't pay for that, you know, but if you're charging the same thing you would that normally you'd be reimbursed wise, some parents will go for that. PDT versus 5-FU. You know, when you look at PDT, 73% reduction of lesions on both hands, one single treatment. Application of 5-FU twice daily for three weeks. I don't have too many people that can go twice daily for three weeks. I've done that treatment one time, and after about, well, for three days, I said, oh, this is not going to do anything. By the end of that week, I was just like one big sore. And it hurt so bad that I went outside, the sunlight actually going through my shirt made it hurt so bad, I put topical lidocaine on when I was in the office so I could work during the day. And after about two weeks, I said, that's it. I can't stand that. I had to think of something different to do. PDT versus 5U round two. Tail of the tape. Blue light, 36 subjects, an hour incubation. PDT with blue light was equal to 5-FU. Both better with PDT with pulse dye laser. I don't have a pulse dye laser in my office now. We used to have one in uh, one of my other offices. Patients preferred PDT over 5-FU though. And when you ask people about 5-FU, the first thing they tell you is, oh, it just ate me up. It was horrible. It hurt so bad, I looked like a monster. And most people say they'll use it again. Very few people don't use it again. Or if they do use it, they don't use it consistently. PDT versus a Miklomod. You know, again, I've, I've used both of these. I think both are, both are effective. You know, Miquimod's now generic. I think it's still a, a viable treatment to sit there and use in people, but they're still gonna flare up pretty bad. You know, but when you look at patients with 100% clearance, you know, you get some in PDT. You don't get very many in a Miquimod. And the little packets that you use for those things are difficult to use. Uh, hopefully one of these days they'll bring in something a little bit different for us to use. But even if I'm treating people with multiple different treatments, I may offer PDT for the face and some other different treatment for the hands and the arms if I can treat them at one time. The cost of this, and this is just an average. Cost to treat multiple AKs with 100% clearance. PDT is around 720, 730. 5-FU is 942, and that depends on what pharmacy you go to. You know, in America, the pharmacies dictate what the prices are. The drug company has a set price 
for everybody, and then they negotiate to bring it into the pharmacy. And it doesn't change. The pharmacies set their prices. So when your patient goes to the pharmacist and they tell them, this is $1,000. Oh, by the way, your copay is only five. They forget to tell them, oh, by the way, your copay is only five. So they've convinced the patient that it's $1,000 to treat this. And when in actuality, they may have paid $100 for that medication, they just charged them $1,000. There's very little regulation on what the pharmacy charges patients. And you can go to one Walgreens to another, and the same medication is different in price. Well, PDT, you're under control of. You know what the CPT codes are, the J codes are you're going to bill. So you want, that's a constant. Pharmacies and given prescriptions are, are not constants. You know, Miquimod, you know, Solarays, again, different prices. And it varies from prescription coverages. Sometimes you'll go and a patient won't have, that medication will be excluded from their plan. And if you don't have enough samples to give them, what are you going to do to treat them? I've had good coverage with PDT in Florida, and I don't know where everybody's from, but in Florida it's been pretty good for us. Practice benefits. Ability to offer latest treatments to patients. And I think, you know, the, the hallmark of PAs is that we're the forefront of medicine. You know, we get out there and say, okay, I want to sit there and know everything that I can. And in, in medicine, if you ever feel like you're not learning, you need to really rethink what you're doing because I still learn stuff every day. Now, sometimes I relearn stuff every day, but I still learn stuff every day. And I want to be able to offer my patients the best treatment that I can with compassion and sincerity. Because to me, we're patient advocates. You know, in this day and age to where you have to see more and more patients, we're the patient advocate. We have to sit there and offer everything that we can think of to these patients. And you know, a lot of times, you know, these things are available and people won't offer them because they, they just get into the rut of doing the same thing each day. I'd encourage you not to do that. The cosmetic results of this is really quite well. I've actually had a lot of women that would pay for this treatment. They just wanted the treatment because the treatment was fast. They didn't have to go through very much peeling and they liked the results of that. I see it as an additional revenue source for my practice. And after showing the doc I work with now that where we can sit there and do that and not take away the, the treatment that we use for actinic keratosis liquid nitrogen, I think that's gonna be beneficial. You know, Medicare, I think, I wanna say it's either next year they're gonna lower the price of actinic keratosis and how, many, how much we get paid for that anyhow. You gotta have room for this. If you have a room that's you know, six by six and you're seeing patients in it, and I know some offices I worked in had real small rooms, you're not gonna be able to have that machine in that room. It is mobile, but it's very heavy. You know, so when you move it, you know, if you, have the, you don't have space for it, it's not gonna work well. And I have a big surgery room in, in my office, it's probably about twice the size of this stage where the PDT sets in, you know, where it's gonna set in anyhow, and that's what I'm gonna use. And my, my medical assistant's the ones that really does this. I monitor this, and it's not on my schedule. My, the patient is on my staff schedule. I do go in and say, okay, this is what we wanna do, and I make sure I see them on the way out. But I don't put them on my schedule. I'm seeing either new patients or follow-up patients or doing something different with that. And the, again, 16 minutes and 40 seconds, I didn't realize how long that was until I was sitting under the machine. You can't have somebody do this and then walk away and leave them for 16 minutes and 40 seconds. Because if they're one of these people that react really bad, they're not gonna like you afterwards. You have to have somebody go in there constantly say, how are you doing? How are things going? We got this much time left. Um, for people that have you know, cold sores, 
If you're going to use this treatment, you want to make sure that you pre-treat them. If you just happen to forget, can you treat them the same day and it may work? Yes. I tend to do Valtrex uh, two grams in the morning, two in the evening. And it tends to work quite well, and Valtrex is generic now. You don't have to hire somebody else to do this. You know, it depends on if, you, if you're working with one medical assistant or two medical assistants and how many patients you have to see, you may have to re rethink that. But I don't put them on my schedule, I put them on my staff's schedule. And I tend to be the type of person that I want to know what's coming in tomorrow, not so much of how many patients come in tomorrow, what do I have tomorrow? So I make sure that my staff is prepared for the stuff that we're going to do. So they don't come in and go, oh my God, now I have a PDT to do, I've got to go follow them and do this. I want to make sure that the next day is planned out well. It's choreographed. And I think that's important to do instead of just reacting to it when you come in. You want to make sure that, you know, somebody's in there to monitor them. Uh, even if it's me going back in in between patients to monitor them. Better patient compliance, I find this very true because I'm able to dictate that. I manage their expectations, but can I tell them what's going to happen before it's done? I tell them all the things that could happen to them. And then I tend to, I'm the one that sees them for follow-up. You know, because usually I'm either freezing one or two more actinic keratosis or doing a different treatment, recommending Retin-A or something, or a different type of a retinoid. The economics of it. These are the codes, and there should be in your uh, slide stuff. It's important that you, you do this effectively. And I don't know how some people can say they don't get paid for it because these codes are Medicare approved. Either they're not entering them in, just don't, don't understand that. You know, it's, it's, it makes you about 130, 140 bucks per patient. And it's not just about money, it's about how you treat your patient. You know, I would like to think that, you know, when I stopped practicing medicine that I've actually helped a lot of patients that said it necessarily just made money for my pocket. You know, and, and if you're in medicine just for the money, rethink what you're doing. You know, I think that we are in it to take care of people. I like making money just like everybody else, don't get me wrong, but there's other ways to do that by giving good patient care. And this shows basically how it's being reimbursed, and it keeps going up and up. The more we use this, the better it's being reimbursed. And it's a procedure again. You know, in 20 years, may they say this procedure, well, you know what, we're only going to pay $5 for this procedure now, then nobody will use it. I don't think that's going to happen because the companies that make these products also pay money into consultants and stuff to make sure that the government is staying abreast of what we do. But for those of us that work with Mohs surgeons, the Mohs surgery reimbursement rate keeps dropping because they like to bundle things together. Uh, this has gone up for the last some years. And when you look at how the uh, actinic keratosis, you just continue to see a steady decline in what we're being reimbursed for that. And I don't know if you guys keep up with the Affordable Health Care Act, uh, but those reductions are still coming and they're going to come more. And they're looking at specific high target uh, practices, dermatology, pediatrics, that do procedures. And they look at the most money-making procedure and say, okay, maybe I'm going to reduce the amount I reimburse for that. Just because they say, I want to keep costs down. It doesn't change the cost we have of doing it. It means that's the government's way of keeping it, the cost down. And effective in January, the J code was about 141, CPT code about a 130.81 national average. I think that's uh, pretty constant uh, nationwide. There's different resources available to do PDT. Uh, you can go through Ducey, you can go through Galderma uh, for their medication. Depends on what lights you have in the office and what you want to use. Why add Levulon? Efficacy has been proven. It, you have good patient outcomes. Uh, 
I don't see scarring, and I, I, don't, I don't like to freeze on the face of women. I don't know about most of you guys, but men, we might be able to get by with leaving a mark or two, but you know, women, you really need to think about what you're leaving on them, and also, I'm seeing young, younger populations with actinic keratosis. I think about a year and a half ago, the, the youngest patient I had with even melanoma was five. You know, so you start thinking about, wow, we're getting more and more of these things out there. You know, tanning beds, number one cause of, of melanoma in the youth. You know, well, not only do they get melanoma, they're getting actinic damage. Um, educate every patient about field therapy and prevention. Uh, there's a lot of good doctors out there and, and PAs and MPs that talk about field therapy. You just have to follow through with it. I find the follow through is probably the hardest thing because you'll want to see a new patient over a follow-up patient. But if you have adequate follow-up with these patients and tell them your expectations of how you want them to become, how you want their skin to look, I think you're going to have better results. Any questions? Yes, women. How soon do I see my patients back? I, t I tend to see my patients back in a month. You know, and, and that gives me two things. If I'm considering retreatment, because retreatment would be at six weeks, I might freeze a few and still retreat in a couple weeks. If, I, if I'm using just, uh, how often would I use it for acne vulgaris? If I'm using just blue U, I would probably do it about every four to six weeks. Could you do it a little bit sooner? Sure you could. And if you think about what ultraviolet blue light does, it kills P. acne. So it reduces the inflammation with cytokines through the P. acne. So that's what it does. So about every four to six weeks, you know, and just blue U itself, I may charge $100, something a little bit different, you know. It depends on what they want to do. If I'm using Levulon, I charge them the full price I would like I was doing a, a fractinic keratosis. Wait a second. We're going to try and go to Mike so we can sit there and get these people. They want to tape this. Excuse now, me. with um, the, um, the global period, I read that there was no global period for the P PDT, whereas with um, cryotherapy there is, but of course we you know, don't do it as often, perhaps. So... PD, PDT therapy is recommended at initial, and you can repeat it in six weeks. And you can do it usually two times a year. And most insurances are paying for that these days. If yeah. you, you pre-treat with Tazerac or Retin-A, how much in advance do you start? I usually do it two weeks. Okay. That's just, and that's a rule of thumb. Somebody else may have a different way they do it, but I like two weeks. Yes. Um, have you had any experience with actually doing PDT on a patient who has had a history of melanoma in the field that you wish to treat? Excuse me, can you repeat that? Um, have you had any experience, um, you know, in doing PDT on a patient who has had a history of melanoma in the area that you want to do the, uh, the photodynamic therapy? That's a good question. I don't think I've actually had a patient with melanoma that I've treated with PDT, but that is a consideration you have to think of because you're using ultraviolet light even though ultraviolet light blue is a little bit different. Um, and you may not want to do it in that patient. You know, but then again, what are you going to do? Are you just going to do liquid nitrogen? Or are you going to use Kerak or Afudex? And what are the immunosuppressive properties of those that somebody may have a melanoma on their face? So it is a treatment decision, but it's something to think about. Yes? Mm-hmm. I would. Run with it. Of course, when you put the light down, it needs to be right at 
Well, good question, too. It's neat that you talk about that. There's a lot of people that pull the Levulon out and paint it on people because when you crack that little ampule thing in there, it doesn't seem like it works really well. Uh, once you get used to it and you get your assistant uh, experienced it and using that, it will work okay. But that's an interesting thought. I've not, I've not done that, but I have had patients or, or uh, providers that said they do that. Secondly, they don't have a machine that flattens out, even though I do think they're looking at things like that. Have I used it on the chest and tried to get at least some benefit with that? Yes, I have. It was after I did a, a glycolic peel. So I, I peeled their chest first and then did Blue U to see when I could get a response. And it, it worked okay. You know, it wasn't the best, but I mean, what else are you going to do with these people? I mean, they come in and they're just nothing but a scale. You've got to offer them something. Good. Yes? Do you peel people right off the bat on their first treatment, or do you usually do that depending on if you felt like they under-responded to the first treatment, or uh, the same thing with the retinoids. Will you just do that right with the first treatment, or? Well, what I like to do, I, I assess my patient to begin with. If they have a lot of actinic damage, I like to pre-treat. And I'll say, come back in two weeks, we'll do the treatment, we're gonna put you on my nurse's schedule. Uh, and I pre-treated them. If they have mild disease, I still love to pre-treat. You know, retinoids are really, really underused. They treat actinic damage, so precancers, smooth out fine wrinkles, protect you from some melanobes on the face, so why don't we use them a lot more? And then you get them onto a treatment plan that you're helping their skin. Not only are you treating their precancerous stuff, you're actually helping their skin. You're trying to do something to help their skin. And that reinforces your ability to treat them for other disease entities that may come up. Any more questions? Thank you. We got one, sorry. Okay. I'll come down.